know, I'm so excited to start this uh, new series with us. It's actually the, new sermon, uh, the first new sermon series we've done for months <laughs> uh, because of everything that happened through that COVID season. Um, but this series has actually been on my heart for over a year. Uh, it's called Logos. Logos is the Greek word for word. Um, and, and I've been carrying it on my heart for over a year. And, it, and it's just not been the right time to bring it. You know, it's just uh, when I came back from sabbatical back in October, we were dealing with all of the stuff that was happening with the protests. And we needed to speak and teach into that. And then Christmas came. And we were planning to do this series at the start of this year, in the early part of this year. And then, of course, COVID happened. And, and I was like, this is not a series that I can bring to a camera. Uh, It's not a series that I could do through the Church Everywhere experience because this series and what I want to speak about is incredibly personal, and it's also one of those things where uh, I I really feel that this is central to the spiritual health of us as a church, Um, and and I want to be really uh, strong with us up front about what this series is about. Um, It's actually a corrective word to us as a church. And I've been sitting on this for, for about a year now as something that I feel like we need to hear as a church, and it is a, a word of correction. It's a serious word about how I think we have a culture here at the church that treats the Word of God really lightly and flippantly, and I think we need to change. And, and, and God does this in a community of believers. He, he, in seasons of a community's growth, He will often bring a corrective word to help to shift and to change us, to be able to begin to, to model exactly what it is that He wants us to do. And, and I know here at The Vine, so often we come in and, and, and we do, uh, and I, I do this a lot, we try to make the word really entertaining and interesting and inspiring and motivational and all that is really good and really important. I'm glad we do that at The Vine. But we also need to realize that sometimes the word comes to correct us. Sometimes the word comes to actually speak about some of the stuff that's going on in our lives that we actually need to deal with. Some of the things that we've put off for a while. Some of the things that are painful for us to go into. Maybe even some of the sin that we get comfortable with, that we carry around with ourselves. Sometimes God's word needs to come in and say, what are you going to be doing about this thing right here? And the problem is, when we, when we have a bit of a culture in us as a community of, oh, I enjoy going to that church because the Word is entertaining to me, I think actually we've gotten ourselves to the point where we're not actually opening our hearts to what the Word really wants to say. Because God's Word cuts us. God's Word often comes to shake us. Come to show us, to speak to us, to challenge us in the areas that we need to change in. And could it be that we've gotten ourselves somehow as a culture in this community of faith where we're not actually applying, receiving, thinking about, engaging with the Word of God in the way that God actually wants us to do? So today and through this series, I'm going to speak seriously to us about the importance of God's Word. Are you ready? You probably wish you'd stayed home with the red rainstorm warning, but no, you fought your way into church today. And those of you that are tuning in right now online, we're so glad you are too. And this is the element of what we need to do is open ourselves up to what God really wants to say. 
You know, this came to me about a year ago when I was on sabbatical, and I spent a lot of my sabbatical actually praying and dealing with my own grief around my father's passing and trying to process all of that, but there were moments where actually I was able to begin to shift my thinking and my prayers towards us as a church and towards me as a pastor and, and what, what God wanted to say in this moment. And uh, I was up in the hills of Santa Fe one day beginning to really pray and to seek God's heart for us as the church here at the Vine. And God led me to three passages of Scripture about His Word. And I'm going to mention all three of those today in this message. I'm going to deal with two of them in today's message. And the third one is going to be the one that's going to be the anchor scripture of what the rest of this series is all about. And every single one of these words about God's Word is a convicting word. It's a word about how we need to come to understand what God's Word actually is designed to do in our lives, and we are to open ourselves up to it because it's so easy for us to get entertained by that Word, but not actually changed by it. Is anyone here? And so I want to open up these three passages, uh, and I'm going to start with the first. It was the first one God took me to, and, and it's from the prophet Amos. And you know when you go to Amos, it's going to be uncomfortable. Because Amos was a prophet that was raised up by God to speak in the 8th century, 8th century BC, to a, a, an Israel that thought they had everything going great in their lives. An Israel who thought that they were in a time of prosperity, but who were deeply entrenched in idolatry and sin. And God raises up the 8th century prophets, Micah and Amos, Hosea and Isaiah, and they begin to speak and prophesy into the reality that if Israel doesn't change, something's going to happen. And out of that, Amos gets a word from God, and he stands before the nation of Israel, and he tells them of what's about to take place unless they change. And as I read this passage, it was one of the scariest passages for a pastor and a preacher, someone who's passionate about the Word of God like I am, to ever read. And as I read it, I was like, I need to sit in this for a while and really get a sense of what God wants to say. And I want you guys to hear it with that same seriousness. Let me read this to us from Amos 8, starting in verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or of thirst or of water, but a famine of hearing the words of God. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from the north to the east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of their thirst. Amos was standing before Israel who thought they had everything going great, but where idolatry was deeply entrenched in them, and he stands before them and says, the time's coming where you will reach a famine, not of food, not of water, but of hearing God's word, and in that time, you're going to be able to need to hear it the most, but you won't. You'll be deaf to hearing God's word. It'll be like the, the word has been removed from you, and this is exactly what takes place for Israel. Amos is prophesying some 100 years before the exile takes place, before Assyria comes down from the north and destroys 10 of the tribes of Israel in judgment, where Babylon comes in from the east and takes an exile, a remnant of Israel, into Babylon for over 80 years. That happens in just 100 years after this prophetic word. And Amos is not just a prophet of doom to God's people. He's a prophet of hope and grace. He's saying, you need to realize that if you don't change, there's an exile coming where it'll be like a famine, and that's exactly like what it was. When, when the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, they were crying out, where are you, God? 
Well, what are you going to do? Well, why can't we hear you anymore? Have you gone? Our temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. Have you, have you been destroyed as well, God? And as I read this, I was so deeply moved because I realized that, that this is God saying to us here at the Vine, if you guys don't change, if you don't actually fully embrace and understand and know what my word is, if you don't open your, yourselves up to my word, a famine is coming for you. Where, where that word will no longer be able to do the work that I want it to do in your life and you will be like these people struggling to know what to do. If there's ever a time in our history that we need the word of God, surely it is right now, amen? If you look at all the things that's happening around the world, you look at those conversations that are taking place in America, you look at the political environment that we're entrenched in here in Hong Kong and the important conversations that are being raised out of that environment, if there's ever a time where God's church needs to hear the word of God, needs to be challenged and encouraged and inspired and given wisdom and revelation to know what to do, to know how to say, to know how it is to speak truth to power, if there's ever a time in our history, it is now. And this is like God is saying, to us as the church, when you need my word the most, there will be a famine. That should be sobering to us. That should really make us sit up and listen. As a preacher, when I read this, I thought this is the worst thing ever because what makes a preacher is not how they speak the words of God, it's how they hear the words of God. And if I can't hear if there's a famine in that, what do I have to bring to us as a church, as a community of faith? But, but, but I think it's more than just for me. It's for us. It's for you. As you're seeking what is the right thing to be doing in the tumultuous events that we're facing right now, the word of God is so needed and so important to you. But if you're just treating it flippantly, if you're just treating the Word of God, whether it's on a Sunday, whether it's in a community group, whether it's in your private devotions, and you're looking at it for a self-help book rather than actually allowing it to convict and change you, where you're looking at God's Word as, oh, wasn't that a nice sermon today? And then you're going off for a lunch and forgetting about it, where you engage in God's Word for 90 minutes as a Sunday Christian, and you don't let it affect you for the rest of your week, what you are basically saying is that this Word is not the anchor of my soul, it's not the thing that is directing my life. No, I got a lot of other stuff going on and actually I don't really care as long as I'm entertained. And I wonder whether we have a culture here at the Vine where we enjoy coming in, where we enjoy tuning in to be entertained, to be inspired, but not actually to change. Could it be that like Israel, we need an Amos moment? It's interesting, Amos says to them, you know what it will be like if you're in famine? He said it will be like, like you're scattered across the sea, wondering how to go. It will be like you're wandering north to east without any direction. In other words, without God's word in our lives, without it really penetrating, without it really changing me, without it, I, I am lost, I am directionless, I'm, I'm moving around, I'm getting thrown about, I'm not actually got a purpose, I can't actually see the right way. And God's coming to Israel, He's coming to the vine now, and He's saying it's still time to change. It's like God is saying, I want you to remember and be reminded about the importance of my word, the, the personal, the direct, the sovereign, all-powerful word that I have for you in your life. 
A word that has no room for anything else in your heart and your life to take its place. A word that stands directly in opposition to sin. And God is saying this, you do not want the famine. You don't want it. And there's still time to change. But if you don't listen, you'll find yourself on those waves wandering around And at the time when the world needs the church to stand on the word of God the most, we will be like, what word? And we won't be the bride of Christ that we actually need to be in this hour. Is this okay? Okay. Ellison's paid to say yes. (laughs) The rest of you. But I want you to sit in this. So you can get a sense of what I'm saying, right? That was not an easy passage for us. And then as I was wrestling with, well, well, God, what are you you saying about the word? I mean, I thought I was a person of the word. I thought, like, this was fine. I thought I'd do this every week. I mean, like, the church seems to be pretty responsive to He began to unpack a few other passages. Let me take you to this other one. It's a little bit more famous in the Amos one. It's found in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, and it's verse 12. And although it's more famous, and it kind of seems a little bit of a nicer word, it actually speaks of exactly the same kinds of things. Let me read this to you from Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes attitudes of the heart. Here's the writer of Hebrews trying to help the, the church understand God's judgment, that God comes to his people, yes, the people he loves, and because he so loves them, he's like a father, and he gets in their face, and he's saying, I see something in you that breaks my heart. I see something in you that needs to change. I'm going to judge and convict the sin in your life so that you would become the person I, I truly want you to be. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews has spent a couple of chapters talking about the reality of what it is to sit under the judgment of God. And at the end of it, he says, and his word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts right down, so it judges the hearts and the attitude. In other words, it's God's Word that brings His voice to us to allow us to realize the things that need to change. Oh, it's not just to entertain. It is to revolutionize you. And sometimes that hurts. Now, I want you to see a few things here. He, he says, first of all, the Word of God. Let, let, me, let me unpack for us what I think the Bible speaks of when it mentions this phrase, the Word of God. In the, in the context of Hebrews here, when the Hebrew writer is using the Word, I think he's, he's talking and thinking about the Old Testament Scriptures, the written Word of God, which is so often when we see it in the Bible, what we think about, the written Word. And that's definitely what's going on here. In the time that the Hebrew author is writing this, he's probably got a copy of Mark available to him in written form by the time that he's writing this, but by the written Word of God. He's thinking about the Old Testament. He's thinking about the, 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 the law. He's thinking about the historical book the Psalms, the Proverbs. He's talking about the things that were written down, the authoritative Word of God. And when we talk about the Word of God, that's so often what we think, isn't it? 
It is absolutely that for us. And, and for us, this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus with the whole canon of Scripture available for us, when we think of the Word of God, we think about the written canon, the 66 books that God has given us through humanity over a 1,500-year time frame that speak to us about His heart with one common purpose and with one incredible unity that this is His authoritative Word to us. And we are to open it, we are to read it, we are to preach from it, we are to understand it, we are to wrestle with it, the written Word of God. But the Bible doesn't just speak of God's Word as simply written. In fact, most of the time when the Bible talks about the Word of God, it speaks about it in oral form, the spoken Word of God. Most of the Old Testament speaks of the Word of God as a voice. The Word of God is a, a literal thing that is spoken out. Genesis 1-2, the creation of the world. With God's voice, He speaks, and creation happens. The prophets in the Old Testament were seen as ones who spoke out the hopes and promises of God, His Word spoken over people, effective to change them. We saw this a few weeks ago with Ezekiel 37, where God puts the Word of God in Ezekiel's mouth so He can speak prophetically that mouth out over one another. That's the, the power of the spoken Word of God. And, and we know now, too, that God hasn't stopped speaking, that our God is still active in what He says. And so when we think of the Word of God in Scripture, we're not just to think about what's written, we're also to think about what's spoken. The fact that His Word is still going out in this world today. The fact that that word is still penetrating ears, that we are still hearing his wisdom and revelation, that we can gather in a room like this or tune in online and listen through a live stream and we can hear the spoken revelation and the wisdom of God. That is also really good. Amen? But the Bible doesn't just stop there. When the Bible talks about the word of God, it's not just talking about the written word. It's not just talking about the spoken word. It's also talking about a person. John in this, not that he's, but anyway. John writes in his gospel something that is so profound and so theologically brilliant. He begins to go, how do I describe who Jesus truly was? How do I let you understand theologically the power of the incarnation? What's the word I will use? Here's it. He is the word of God the Logos of God. In other words, for John to understand Christ is to realize that he was right there in the beginning speaking out the Word to bring things into life. That Jesus in His flesh and blood put on the Word of God. That He is actually the Word living right here amongst us. Flesh and bones moving into our neighborhood. That Jesus is the one that we get to see not just as a great teacher but the Word of God Himself. That if you were to take all of the authoritative scripture uh, that is written, if you take all of the, 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 the word of God that is spoken, it has its totality in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So as Christians, as we're in relationship with Jesus, we're actually in relationship with the word. So when the Bible speaks about the Word of God, it has all three of these things in mind. The Word of God is the written Word, the spoken Word, and the incarnate Word. Are you with me? This is really important. I call it the trinity of God's Word. Because so often I think we limit our thinking just to what's in my hand right now, rather than actually recognizing all that the Bible says 
about if you want to truly allow God's Word to be at work in your life, it's the written, the spoken, and the relationship with Christ. And together that forms what the Word does. Now, what does that Word do? Well, the writer here in Hebrews goes, first of all, it's living and active. The word for living here literally means to be alive. And that is what the Word of God is. It is alive in us, alive upon us, alive to bring life. The Word specifically means to bring something into life. This is what God's Word does. Even the words that are hard to hear are designed by the heart of God to bring us into newness of life. Paul would write, when you are in Christ Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God, you are a new creation. So His Word is life-bringing, life-redeeming, and life-creating in you. Now, now, interestingly, this word alive is in the present continuous tense in this passage for a reason. What that means is the, the author is saying God's word is alive right here, right now, continuing to be at work in you. The word is not just alive back in the old days. The word of God is not just alive. Not, God wasn't just speaking in the New Testament times. No, the word is presently, continuously, right now, bringing life to this world. This is not outdated. Let's resist what some people might say to say that the word of God, written, spoken, and incarnate, is now outdated. Oh, it's got nothing to say to this context, nothing to say to the racism in America or the racism in Hong Kong or the things that we're dealing with politically. Oh, God's word is nothing. No! It's alive, it's active, it's at work, it's bringing life. It is this thing right here. This has so much to say, but we can't hear it if we're in a famine. We've got to open our hearts to what he really wants to say, because it's alive. Now, he then says it's active. The, the word here means effective. This is really important because it's one thing to have an, a word that is alive in us presently right now, still relevant to this moment in time, but actually God wants you to know that his word is effective. It can bring to pass the things that it wants to bring to pass. This links to Isaiah 55 verse 11 where God himself says, you want to know what my word does? When my word goes out from my mouth, it doesn't return to me void, but it actually achieves every purpose and promise that I send it out for. I send it out with a purpose. It will return to me having achieved that purpose because my word is active effective to bring change. And I, and I wonder when we, we so flippantly come to the Word of God in our lives, where we get our ears tickled on a Sunday without actually thinking about how this might be life-changing and transformative to me, we've actually denied the effectiveness of God's Word. We've actually not allowed ourselves to be open to the reality that it could actually really, truly change me. Now, this is where it gets really challenging. The author then says, you want to know what this word is really like? Let's just get to the chase here. How do I describe this best to you? It's like a double-edged sword. No, 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 actually, even more than that. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. The idea of the word of God being a sword is found throughout Scripture. And uh, don't worry, I'm not that angry. You're okay. You're all right. But... The sword is the symbol of God's word throughout Scripture. It's mentioned three times alone in the Old Testament. And it's always mentioned the word of God as a sword with the posture of a weapon of war. That, that God's word is a thing that is used when you are in a place of war. 
The prophets, when they were described in the Old Testament, they were described as ones who had a sword in their mouths. That when they spoke, it was like they were attacking, bringing something down, trying to destroy something, attack something that had put itself up against God. When Paul decides to talk about the armor of God, he he has lots of things about defending ourselves. Oh, we need the shield of faith. We need the belt of truth, the helmet of, of salvation. But then he describes one thing in the armor and one thing alone that was to be a weapon, the weapon of offense, and it was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul said it's the Word of God that we use, not just the shield to defend. The Word of God is what we use to fight back the enemy. When Jesus is described at the end of Revelations, coming to the church to speak to them, he's described with a weapon of war in his mouth. It says that Jesus had a double-edged sword in his mouth as he spoke out judgment on the church. So when the writer of Hebrews is saying, you want to know what the Word of God is like? Oh, it's like a nice fluffy teddy bear that when you come in on a Sunday, you get your ears tickled and feel really good and go home with a woohoo in your step. No. You want to know what the Word of God is really like? What's the best way to understand it? It's a double-edged sword. It's going to cut you. It's going to hurt. It's designed to be a weapon to pull down sin in you. See, a a double-edged sword was, was something that was cut on one side and on the other side, sharpened on both sides of the blade, whereas most swords are just sharpened on the one side, sharpened on both sides. Why? So that it it really penetrated and cut really deeply. Also, double-edged swords were often designed to be cut in one direction on one side and then in the opposite direction on the other side. Why? So when it cut in, it also cut on the way out. Oh, that's not a very comfortable imagery. And here's, here's the writer of Hebrews saying, you, you really need to understand what God's word is like. It'll cut you on the way in. It'll cut you on the way out. And if you think it's anything less than that, then you are not honoring the word of God. If you don't realize it's a weapon of war, if you don't realize that God has created something that is to be an offensive weapon against the enemy's track in your life, oh, you want to treat it lightly? No, it is an instrument of death that brings life. The Word of God is a double-edged sword. He says it cuts bone and marrow. It separates these things so that it opens up for us the heart that we have, the attitude that is in our hearts. It does this, and oh, it is painful. It is cutting right to the very places. There is no sin that can escape its cut. There is no fear that can be hidden from its blade. There is no pain that cannot be uncovered, cannot be found by this word. It will cut you on the way in. It will cut you on the way out. Why? Because we need surgery. And if we don't take surgery, if we don't open our lives to the cutting of God's word, if we don't fall in our knees and realize that we need repentance at times, we will see the famine. And God is asking us a question. Do you really desire for God's word to penetrate every area of your life? I mean, do you really 
want to hear him? That's the question I, I felt when we were in the hills in Santa Fe. I felt it deeply for me. Andrew, do you really want the sword of my word to penetrate every area of your life? Does your church really want to hear me that way? And I want to say this. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. I think we're quite comfortable to allow the word of God to chip away at us every once in a while. We're quite comfortable to allow the word of God to raise a little issue every once in a while. The writer of Hebrews didn't say, the word of God is like an envelope cutter opener. <laughs> every once in a while, you can open up a letter without cutting your finger. It's a weapon of war, sharpened on both sides, so that it will cut you in, cut you out, so that it will open you up. Why? Because it is a gift of grace, not God's condemnation on you because you're the worst thing ever, but because God so longs for you to be set free, so longs for you to be the people that he's called you to be, that he's willing to do surgery on you to get you there. The question is, are you willing to open yourself up? Every time that we think that the word of God is just there to entertain us, I think we've dishonored what the Word of God is actually all about, which is to recreate us. If you are serious about the Word of God in your life, it will be painful. It'll hurt. It'll cut you. It'll cause you to deal with your reputation. It will call you out for your racism. It will find systemic things in you that are ugly and it will bring you to your knees. And it will do it without any apology because it's doing it for your goodness, whether you realize it or not. Do we really want to hear him speak? Well, that led me to the third passage. As I began to think about what does it really mean to be cut by the word of God, and I was led to a third passage, which is still not an easy passage. Sorry, guys. Should have stayed home. And in this passage, God takes another prophet, Jeremiah. And he says, you want to know what the cutting of the Word of God is like? You want to know what the Word of God really does? You really, you really want to know? <laughs> okay. This is what it does. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Then the Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth. And said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. He, he comes to, to the church speaking out over Israel and says, this is what my word's going to do when I put it in my mouth, when I speak it out. This is what it's going to do to the nations. This is what it's going to do to kingdoms. This is what it's going to do to your community. It's going to uproot. It's going to tear down. It's going to destroy. It's going to overthrow. And just in case you thought that all it's ever going to do is bring you pain, there will be a bit of building and planting as well. I want to, I want to unpack this for us because this is where we're going to base the whole of this series around. Is this helping anyone? Is this scaring anyone? Yes. Good. 
It scared me. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to preach it the way I received it. Is that okay? If it hurt me, it might also hurt you. But I'm not trying to hurt you. Anyway, whatever. Okay, so um, let me show you, though, the importance of this passage for us. What, what God does is he says, is he, um, Jeremiah, I'm putting words in you, my word, and when you speak out, that word's going to do one of or a combination of six specific things. And these six things come to us in couplets of two. Uh, let me show you what they are. First of all, it is to uproot and to tear down. That's the first couplet. The second couplet is to destroy and to overthrow. And then the third couplet is to build and to plant. And God is saying, this is what my word does. You want to know what that double-edged sword, that cutting, that getting down to the heart and matter of things, it does these six things. I, I want to come in your life with my word. I need to uproot all of the deep-seated false core beliefs and systems of thinking that you have in you. Those places that are so deep-seated in you that you have automatic behaviors and thinking and language and ideas off of the broken, sinful core beliefs that are so entrenched in you that you're not even aware of them. I will uproot those things in you. And then not only that, but I want to tear down the defenses that you've created in your life to keep me out. The defenses that you've put up in your life to protect the sin in your life. I want to tear those things down because I love you so much. And then, guess what I'm going to do? Then I'm going to destroy. <laughs> I'm going to take that sin. And I'm not just going to go, oh, let me give you a Band-Aid for that issue. I'm going to completely eradicate that thing from your life. There's some of us in this room where we've been hanging on to certain sins for many, many years, just kind of going, well, I guess it's a burden I'm always going to have to bear. No, the double-edged sword of God wants to come in and destroy that thing. Then after that, he wants to overthrow every single allegiance you have towards anything else in this world other than God. Every single allegiance you have to an idol. Every allegiance you have to something material. Every allegiance you have to a thought, a philosophy, a politics, or whatever that you've placed higher than God. He wants to overthrow that power in your life. Then, he's going to build. He's going to build some new foundations in you. Maybe not the foundations you want. Maybe not the ones you thought. But the ones that are actually the solid rock upon which he can actually build a true life. And then he's going to plant some new ideas in you. Some new core beliefs. Some new systems. Some new ways of thinking. Some new kingdom-minded things. That if he put those things in before he uprooted, tore down, destroyed, and overthrew, you would reject them straight away. Or you might like them for a season, but because the soil is shallow, it will just be washed away. Or it will hit the hard ground and the birds will come and take... No, no. He's got to do the work before he can plant the seed. But he wants to plant the seed in you. Because that's also part of what this word is going to do. Are you with me? Let me show you two general things about this passage and what we're going to do over the next three weeks. Next week is World Refugee Day Sunday, but then we're going to take one of these for one week each, one of this group, uh, and we're going to preach on it, and I'm going to help you to really understand it. But let me give you some, some real quick things right now that are important in general. First of all, I want you to notice that four out of the six, four of them 
are couched in disruptive terms. Oh, but I love coming to the Vine because it's so entertaining and so funny and so motivating and inspiring. And every time I leave, I feel better about myself. Well, that's good. I'm glad you come to the Vine. I'm glad that when we preach here, you feel inspired and motivated. We're not going to change that. We want you to feel inspired by God's Word. But if every single Sunday you leave feeling a lot better about yourself, rather than actually going, that hurts. I need to sit in that for a while. I need to wrestle with that. I've got some sin in my life that I don't know how to deal with. Wow, God came today and tore racism out of me. And I could see the thing in me that actually makes me more a part of the problem than the solution, as much as I'd like to say on social media. Oh, that right there. I heard God say, I need healing. God wants to do that. That's why we gather. Not to have our ears tickled, but to have our lives changed. Now, I want you also to notice this. The first two here are linked to the bottom two right here. And the two in the middle are what needs to happen to sin in order for these uh, four things to really take place. I want you to see how God has set this up. First of all, he wants to come and through destroying and overthrowing the sin in your life, he will uproot some of those faulty core beliefs. Why? So that he can then come and plant new things, new beliefs, and new systems in you. He wants to also come and tear down those barriers and defenses that we put in our lives. And then he wants to do that so in order that he can then build the things that he wants to create in you. Do you see how that works? He needs to destroy and overthrow. So when he uproots, he plants. When he tears down, he builds. And so we come to God's word every single week. And whether it's here on a Sunday, or whether it's in a community group, or whether it's when you open your devotional for yourself, whenever it is that you encounter both the spoken, the written, and the incarnate word, you are to ask yourself, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, Lord, I'm coming into a moment with your word. Father, what is it you need to uproot in me? What needs to be torn down? What can I have your spirit destroy today? What needs to be overthrown? How do you want to build? What is it that you want to plant? I'm ready and open and willing. The double-edged sword. I may not like it. It's going to be tough. But God, I want this because I'm serious about being a person of true faith, true obedience, true commitment to your kingdom. I realize that in all of the brokenness we're seeing in the world right now, that if the church is to have any voice that has anything to say to what is happening in the world, I need to realize that this work of me opening my life to the word has to happen right now. Because if it doesn't happen now, I won't become the person that has anything to say at all. Church, do you want the famine? Let's pray. Father, we sit in this place this morning. We sit in a place where whether online, listening now, or in this room. 
where we recognize that for every single one of us, there is more that God's word wants to do in us. And Lord, we enter into this space, this series that you've given us. And we recognize it's not an easy teaching. It's not an easy word. But we come into it, Lord, in the posture that I believe you're asking, which is to open ourselves up. To come into it in that posture of humility. To say, it needs to start with me. I've treated your word flippantly. I've treated your word lightly. It's a a self-help book about making me feel better. Rather than actually the authoritative word of God designed to completely revolutionize me. Forgive me, Lord, where I've dipped into your word like candy floss, desiring a sweetness, not, not actually wanting my hunger to be met. Forgive me, Lord, where I've treated your word like it's something to slap on to the rest of the things that I do to try to become better at something. Maybe a nicer husband or a better colleague. Or a, Your word is just like a, a number of things in my life that I'm working on to make myself better. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for not understanding that your word is a double-edged sword. It's a weapon of war. That it wants to come and uproot stuff in me that I'm not even aware of. And it wants to come and uproot the stuff in me that I am aware of that I don't want uprooted. That that it's designed to come and tear down defenses that I put in my life to protect myself to even protect myself from you. That it wants to destroy my sin, not just give me a band-aid. That it wants to overthrow the idol worship in me, even when I find comfort in it. That it wants to come and build new foundations because I desperately need them. But I'm too proud to admit it. That it wants to come and plant the seeds of a new kingdom, a new way of thinking, a new belief system, new behaviors and morals and ethics. And I'm so shallow that in the first bit of rain, it just gets washed away. Forgive me, Father. Father, we declare, I believe we declare as a church that we do not want the famine. In the time that we need to hear your word the most, We want to be able to hear it, Lord. And so, Father, we come open-hearted, open-handed, humbled before you. We come in a posture of repentance, but also a sense of conviction, not condemnation. Recognizing it's your kindness that leads us into this place, that you are an agent of grace, that the sword is there because you love us so much. 
And so church, I want to give you a space now as your eyes are closed, heads bowed, to just have your own time with the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a moment just for your prayer. You know what God is saying to you this morning. You know what it is that He's challenging you on in this moment. Maybe there's a need for confession. Maybe for some of you for repentance. Maybe for some of you it's just to invite the Holy Spirit in. Maybe for some of you it's just to be open to being invested in this series in the weeks ahead. It'll look different for each one of us, but there's your time now to sit in the presence of God and to realize that He's holding back the famine because He loves you. And that like a father, He's before you, that good father. He places His hands on your shoulders in this moment. And He says, do you really want my word to penetrate every area of your life? Do you really want me to speak? Because if you do, I will speak. Thanks for checking out.